Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. We are now. Okay, good. All right, let's just let's just start the episode with this. Uh, okay, Marcus Parks, I'm Ben Kissel. We're here with Jim Polk. Hello. Uh, for those that don't know, Tony Stewart, he's a race car driver. He mostly uses, uh, he mostly does NASCAR and things like that. He's very famous. He killed a person on the tracks, I believe it was Saturday or Friday, Marcus? Uh, it was on the 9th, so that would have been yesterday. Yeah. And of course, today he wanted to race, and NASCAR was like, you did just murder a guy, let's wait until his corpse is cold before you race in one of our events. But Jim, I want you to watch the footage and let me know what you think, because... Uh, I mean, yeah. the guy's an idiot for getting out of the... Basically, Tony Stewart spun somebody out on the racetrack, which is very common. You're trying to win the damn thing. Yeah, these are sprint cars. And, you know, there's you know a lot of bumping, grinding, things right. like that going on. Very, It's a tactical maneuver, and, yeah. the, and the car was fine, and the guy was fine. Uh, he was fine until he got out of his car and decided to be a hothead and confront a moving automobile going about 85 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So let's see the video here. Guy is uh, getting out of his car. Apparently, it's broken down. He's trying to uh, tell people to slow down. And he's boom, real pissed. Oh, oh. See, I don't think he swerves. I don't think Tony Stewart swerved to got him. I think he just swerved after the body went underneath his right front tire. Right, right. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I, I kind of agree with Marcus on that. Um, no swerve to hit, just kind of a. It looks. It's what's very interesting about it is is it's very hard to tell what the guy does right as Tony Stewart approaches this right. Kevin Ward. It looks almost like Kevin Ward jumps in front of Stewart's car or well, he kind of jumps into it as Tony is passing. It looks like it's the side of the car that catches him. I think it's mostly right. just kind of reflex. When a car is coming mm-hmm. at you 85 miles an hour, the first reflex is not going to be the best one. Well, I would say the first instinct is stay in the car. <laughs> Don't get out of the car when there's a racetrack full of other cars going 85 miles an hour and you're a human made of flesh and bone. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's the funniest part is the guy is walking around like pointing at all these cars like I'm going to kick your ass. Legal well, analysis. Is Tony Stewart a murderer? I mean, by definition, he is. But is it criminal? <laughs> it might be. You think it might be? It might be. Um, I Oftentimes, you look at the custom of the sport in legal cases. Now, I'll be frank. Um, you know, intentional acts, you don't have to have custom of the sport. I mean, if, it mm-hmm. look, if they can try to prove that Tony Stewart saw him, right. intended to hit him with his car, that's pretty inter- that's inherently dangerous. In New York, that would be... Reckless murder, second degree. That'd well, be a yeah. depraved heart. Seems and, right now that there's no criminal criminal investigation into uh, the case, but that doesn't mean there might not be a civil suit later on. Right. And you know what's interesting about civil suits is I actually do know something about civil suits and sports because uh, many people don't know this, but the jockey who rode Secretariat. Okay. And short, Secretary was a triple crown, right? One of the apparently greatest horses yeah. of all time to ever race was right. Secretary. And everyone thought this uh, this last horse was about to do it, but then it lost in the third round. I forget the or the third race. I forget the name of the totally horse. Totally made some money on that, too. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I bet against him. I always bet against the triple crown winner because there's never been one since I've been alive. Yeah, yeah. the odds are in it's your favor. It's a safe bet to bet against right. them. So I actually bet against the top winners, and then I bet the field, and you always win if you bet against the triple crown winner because I people agree. are also really stupid and they all bet on it because they want to hold that souvenir ticket for the rest of their life and they mm-hmm. jack the odds to these ridiculous and you get horses that should be five to two who are now coming in at 11 to one 
Right, and right. so the payouts are sweet against it. But um, anyways, I don't understand a thing you just said, <laughs> but I love it. So you know, Secretariat, I, there's a jockey for Secretariat. Yeah, Ron Turcott was the jockey who rode Secretariat to the uh, Triple Crown. And um, he was later paralyzed racing horses. Um, okay. he, shortly thereafter, uh, he was in a race, and um, he was bumped by another jockey on another horse and he okay. was kicked off the horse and and later paralyzed from that injury and i a believe he's um it's unclear mm. but uh but i believe it was considered a purposeful bump i people believe that this jockey was trying to force ron turcott's horse to the outside right and um which wasn't secretariat now they didn't bump secretariat because you probably would have been really far behind him right but um it was um jockeys often race several horses in a day yeah. but um he was knocked off it, and, this, and Ron Turcott sued the other jockey, and I believe he lost. Really? Um, because they said, you know, yeah, it was an intentional act. Yeah, it causes injury, but it's an inherently dangerous activity. You undertook it, and the custom of the sport is this is something that happens. I For agree example, with that decision, though. Every penalty in hockey right. technically could probably be a tort. They're <laughs> felonies. I mean, there, were, there was a hockey game the other, uh, you know, last season. The, as soon as the puck was dropped by the referee, both sides threw down their gloves and started fighting. Yeah. This is a gang war. Yeah. But because it's uh, under the guise of sport, it's legal. What I mean, I, I would love to talk to you about this. It's sort of, uh, I wasn't expecting to, but that is an interesting situation. When people get into physical altercations during an athletic event, uh, the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks back in uh, 2001, uh, Alonzo Mourning, he got his ankle grabbed by our great coach, Jeff Van Gundy. I believe it was 2001. I might be wrong about that. But I mean, it was it was a true violent activity that it, had it happened outside of Madison Square Garden, Everyone would have been arrested. Yeah. But because it was in Madison Square Garden, a couple of people got ejected, and I believe the Knicks ended up winning. <laughs> so I'm happy that no one got arrested. I actually looked into it. It looks like uh, three people in athletics that I could find of the major four professional sports have actually spent time in jail for on-field violence. Really? Do you know the names of those people? Uh, yeah, what one, was, they uh, one was Dino Cicerelli. And uh, that's football? Was, that's, that's hockey. That's I believe hockey, he okay. was, uh, two of them were hockey. The other was Marty McSorley for when he chalked um, Donald Brashear in the side of the head. Brashear's skating away, and McSorley double hands his hockey stick and cracks him square in the skull. It sounds like two bar pubs fighting yeah. each other. McSorley and what's the other Donald one? Donald Brashear, yeah. Brashear and McSorley. Dino Cicerelli, I don't know what he did, and I believe it was the uh, guy for the Oakland Raiders, the one that took steroids and now Boz. has brain care. No, Brian no. Bosworth? No, earlier. Oh, the that, other thousand. That was, uh, he played with Howie Long, Alonzo, like, or, Lyle Alzado. That's okay. it. I believe it was Lyle Alzado was the other one. That, and so he roid raged on the field? He did something on the field. Did. I think he like hit somebody with a helmet or something like that. <laughs> That's a rough-looking man. Who, uh, Lyle Alzado? Yeah, Lyle Lyle Alzado, yeah. Nasty-looking Take a look at, picture, look at a picture of this guy, Ben. <laughs> Woo! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's done when you just be real polite to. Yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you want, sir. Yeah, I Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's not one you. So challenge. there's been there's been uh, those were the three I could three, find. Yeah. I, I mean, I confess, I, I have a job. I didn't look that deep. No, but well, it, it was an interesting thing to look into. But McSorley, I remember when that happened. I was watching that game when that right. happened. But uh, Dino Cicerelli, I don't know what he did. Was there something that set McSorley apart and uh, and this other... Uh, what's his name? Uh, that would be... L- Lyle Alzado. Uh, Lyle Alzado, yeah. w- Was there something that they did that was so egregious that... Uh, was it because it was so against the tradition of the game, like you mentioned earlier? Yeah, um, it's, that, what, they, what, what it was about McSorley is... And I'm a big hockey fan. Yeah. I love the sport. And, um, you know, the tradition is, is if you, you're an agitator... I will t- say, you know, hockey... 
it's been good for white athletes. You know, because it's like it's the most uncomfortable sport to play. You have to be freezing cold on ice, on skates. Everyone who is actually talented that has the ability to do anything else athletic, they're like, I think I'll hang out uh, and just play basketball. Well, yeah, and women like us, you know. Hockey loves to brag that it has the lowest. IQ and games missed to injury of any of the major four sports. But that's only because in any other sport, 18 stitches, you would probably be out of the gate. Right, right. Hockey, right. you miss a few minutes. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's a deranged sport in that. And what, other, caught- what other professional sport is a part of the game tearing off your equipment and punching another player? And the result of that is you are get a penalty for five minutes. Right. And the referees don't, like, they're Stop not it. upset. They, they ref the fight. They just, I mean, scorecards might as well be held up at the end of the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, players are recruited for their ability to beat other people. I mean, there's actually a great uh, real sports. Uh, it's a Showtime thing with Bryant Gumble, mm-hmm. um, and they were talking about uh, enforcers, the hockey enforcers, and it's really the only way that they can get into the NFL. It's much like special teams players for the NFL before they took the cook- kicking game out of it. Mm-hmm. Just total lunatics who are solely there because they don't got no concern for the brains. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much no, the I only reason. But they have a, a, a mass amount of depression. Yeah. And they end up, uh, you know, their, their minds are cooked after about five years. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, like Desmond Howard, he was a career kick returner. And I mean, that's that's like basically being a career kamikaze pilot. It is, know? yeah. It's, it's insane job. It yeah, is. Like running as hard as you can, as far as you can, as fast as you can, with absolutely no regard for what's going to well, happen. Well, all the big guys chasing you get about a 20-second head start on you. Yeah. Right. Because the ball is looming in the air. <laughs> you know, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I don't know how you would recruit somebody to do that. I, I don't know how you don't just end up in the fetal position mm-hmm. as the ball comes down to you. Because that's what I reacted like when I was in seventh grade. And let's just say <laughs> I didn't make the team. <laughs> And I'd be surprised that you would be the kick returner. You're you're a big guy. You it was like, it, they were just seeing if I could do anything. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they learned I couldn't. Well, in junior high, that was a common practice in right. football. Is like you're just you try to see what the big guy can do because you <laughs> yeah, yeah, think yeah, the yeah. big guy is so much bigger than all the rest of the kids. So sometimes the big guy can do anything. You just give him the ball and he just runs and over. And sometimes everyone. they go to the NFL <laughs> because <laughs> they're so huge and so athletic. Well, as that well. is always yeah. funny about like about junior high school football right. is that there's usually like the two kids that hit puberty before every other kid. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they're lumbering towards the goal with the yeah. rest of the team sort of dangling off. Of them, course, and know? in the seventh grade, there's a girl who's like the best offensive tackle in the yeah. entire team. And then by, you know, the time ninth grade comes around, she's, uh, you know, yeah. no longer. She's uh, not on the team. It, it, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because she's an average sized girl. I'll tell you, I'm going to start If I was a sixth grade football coach, nothing but women because they mature quicker than yeah. men. Yeah. So we're talking about some bovine. We can get some beasts out there. <laughs> it would be huge. I would love it. Well, let's continue on. Let's talk about some more violence. New York City, um, the NYPD not having a great week. Mm-mm. Not the best week of all time and not the best couple of days. A fellow named Eric Garner, he was put into a uh, chokehold. He was selling Lucy's on the street. Uh, he has a, a bit of a rap sheet. Um, uh, Bill Bratton and, uh, and de Blasio, um, they have a broken windows policy, which has been in New York, I believe, since 92. Um, basically, where the theory is, um, stop petty crime in order to uh, uh, get rid of uh, larger crimes in the future. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's predicated on that. Yeah, it's and, uh, say if you r- arrest everyone who does turnstile jumping, you know, you're going to be catching a few people with warrants or guns or drugs or stuff like that. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it is concentrating on the small crimes. You know, right. in preparation for this show, I looked into kind of the, the, the storied history of broken windows because it's one of the most controversial things. Yes. And 
what's really interesting is very early in his administration, Giuliani, who was the first person to appoint Bill Bratton. Right. Meaning that and Bill, Bill Bratton, de Blasio and Rudolph Giuliani, two polar opposites and people who are despised by the opposing of the respected, right. have one unique thing in that their police commissioner is the same man. Well, I mean, I think that that is a, uh, a great indicator of how much society um, treasures their safety. And especially in New York City. I mean, that's how dangerous New York City was. But what really, what really Giuliani made a, made a bold promise, and it was kind of a ridiculous promise. It was laughed at. Um, and it was that he was going to get rid of the squeegee men. Right. The guys that came up to your window. And Broken Windows was kind of the first test case for it. And it was astoundingly successful. Right. He pretty much cleaned them out. I've been in New York 11 years now, and I've never seen one. Mm-hmm. You know, I drive, too. So. And sometimes you could probably go for one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, believe me, absolutely. Bug but, hits um, your windshield. You're like, where are these quasi-homeless people? And I looked into it. I was like, is this a success of broken windows? And it, right. what really turned out was there just wasn't as many as people thought. They were really yeah. just the same guys concentrated in high traffic areas. Well, of course, now that Broken Windows is back in the news, and of course that the squeegee men were a big symbol of that, the New York Post has come out with a story right. saying... Uh, Squeegee men are back terrorizing New York City streets. Ah, the terror of people cleaning <laughs> your windshields. Again, let's not overuse the term terror here. <laughs> 9-11 was a terrorist act. I don't think yeah. that they... I mean, can you imagine if a bunch of squeegee people just climbed the Twin Towers and cleaned all the windows? Uh, 9-11 would have been a much better affair. <laughs> and let me also... You know, I have lived here 11 years, and... um Here's what I don't understand. What was so threatening about the squeegee man? Was it that well, they expected was, you to give them the dollar? Because New Yorkers are never that polite. It was a mm. shakedown. It was also an inconvenience. I mean, I understand. I mean, if you if you are driving in your car and all of a sudden someone is in front of it, much like Tony Stewart hitting this guy, I mean, it's a pain in the ass and uh, it, it just looks bad. I get Bill The solution Brett, is chokehold. But Bill Bratton, of course, uh, going back uh, to the Eric Garner situation, and Bill Bill was the first one to invent stop and frisk. This was his policy. Well, it was was really more part of broken windows. He never had the... The cojones, if you will, to come out and actually say we're just going to randomly stop and search people. That was Ray right. Kelly really owned the province of stop and frisk as a legitimate. Also, Ray Kelly, the last commissioner under uh, Bloomberg. Yeah, Ray Kelly, the last commissioner. Also, I mean, here, let me do a legal analysis of stop and frisk. Stop and frisk, this is not a new idea. I mean, this goes back to the 40s with the Constitution. And they came up in a case called Terry v. Ohio. And it says you have to have reasonable suspicion that criminality is afoot before you can stop somebody. And the case basically went, officer, and I think his name was like McGardle, some, one of those just classic Irish cop names, right, right, right. saw this guy, Terry, walking back and forth in front of a jewelry store after hours, looking in the window, and, he, and being a good cop, you know, the guy was casing it. So he approaches. It's not possible the guy was in love, looking for a ring to well, buy the, his The jewelry gal. store was closed and it's late after hours. So. Well, yeah, but I mean, we've all seen Wayne's World. <laughs> when he's looking at the guitar and uh, he desperately wants it, and yeah. as soon as he gets the cash, he, he buys it? Well, under the Supreme Court, you could have stopped Wayne. Because there's reasonable <laughs> suspicion that Wayne's guilty. So Wayne would have been stopped and frisked. Well, yeah, but he, there, would, there could have been argued reasonable cr- suspicion that criminality was afoot. Sure. And um, the idea was is that the police, obviously, when they're trying to stop a crime, they don't have to wait till the crime is committed. You don't have to wait to watch this guy smash the window of the jewelry store. Mm. You can approach him and go, what are you doing? Yeah. And you have a right to pat him down for your own protection, because his solution could be to pull out a gun and shoot you. Those are called Terry stops. They've been in the Constitution forever. There's a ton of law about them. It's a federal 
rule, the Terry stops. What I love is... And it's all predicated on this Terry case. This Terry what, case. Was he... Um, I, I, do, you know about, do you know enough about the case? Was he, was he actually casing the place to rob it? Or? Well, probably. Okay. And they did find a loaded handgun on him. I see. An illegal loaded handgun when the cops stopped and patted him down. So the cop could have very well been in danger. So when you are, so this is the first example in the legal books of a stop and frisk. Re- yes, Terry v. Ohio. And there's been a bunch of other case laws sorted out, but they really have been referred to as Terry stops forever. Mm. Ray Kelly, understanding language probably better than any other police commissioner I've ever seen, removed all words about Terry stops from the New York City Police Manual. He Why didn't was that? Want because if you're going to admit what you're doing and say that we're doing Terry stops, a judge has got to go, okay, so what was your reasonable suspicion that someone was committing a crime? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop and frisk doesn't require reasonable suspicion. Stop and frisk is just sort of a blanket policy. And that's the difference. Well, doesn't – so with stop and frisk, so it's it's equivalent to a road – I know in Israel, I was talking to uh, you know our friend Saman who was mm-hmm. on, I, I believe, last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he discusses how in Israel you pretty much have you get stopped every like five blocks at a roadblock. Yes, and it's totally uh, whatever. It's at random, and that's stop and frisk. That is. So no matter, so they could go to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and just randomly stop whoever they want to. In theory, yes, they just don't. Right, because Williamsburg, Brooklyn, nowadays is not a high crime area. So you have this Eric Garner situation where the guy is selling Lucy's, which by the way should be legal. Yeah. 20 cigarettes in a pack is too damn many. I've said it before. I'm not much of a smoker, Marcus. You know, I maybe smoke, what do you think, three, four a week. Yeah. But the guy was selling Lucy's, which is, it's a victimless crime. I mean, yeah, the tax people don't get their money. That's really why Lucy's are illegal. The tax people don't get their money on those cigarettes. But he bought the pack of cigarettes. Yeah. He's just selling it for a dollar. Mm-hmm. And he's making I mean, money on it, and he's, not, he's probably not paying income on those taxes, because you're not allowed to sell cigarettes that way. But That's don't you get, when you buy the pack of cigarettes, that then you would go and sell one out of, you bought the pack of cigarettes. Well, no, Isn't but you're getting you? it, my guess is, here's the story. What's a pack of cigarettes cost, Marcus? Uh, thir- uh, $12.50 right now. Okay, so you got 20 oh. cigarettes, right? Mm-hmm. So you're selling them at a, so if you were to, you know, you were you probably buy the pack wholesale, because you're a wholesale retailer. You get it at, you know, $8, you sell it for 12 you made $4. If you break it up and you individually sell all the cigarettes at, you know, a dollar a piece, you've now made $20. You've made more money selling the cigarettes right. individually. But there's no there's no loss to the people that you bought the cigarettes from to begin with. No, there isn't. But right. my guess is when you write up your tax forms, what they're worried about is you'll write up, I sold a pack of cigarettes because you did. And the inventory will make sense. But you sold a little more than that, and you should pay a little more income tax. Sure. It's a gray area, and I'm not that concerned about big and tobacco. It, I think I will, they're doing just fine, and I think the taxes And are, I will probably are, say it's really one of the most petty, obnoxious yeah. crimes. It is the kind of It's new, not a crime, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think in most people's opinion it's a right. crime. But, it's a, it, but it is a crime under... And again, we always know, uh, you know, on average, humans break three felonies a day, and we, we, uh, you know, we know these... Uh, Basically, you're breaking the law on a regular basis. So the guy was selling a, a Lucy cigarette, and uh, the cops confronted him. I actually don't believe he was. I believe he he's was. done it in the past. Yeah, he's got a lot of convictions for it. Uh, supposedly, what was going on is that he was breaking up a fight, right? right. Uh, and the cops were on their way to harass him, but at this moment, he wasn't actually doing anything wrong, right? 
And I believe he'd been harassed, or he'd not harassed, but I mean, been arrested. I'll give yeah. him their due. I think like eight times a- before. He was a repeat offender, but it was all but this for is selling the cy- Lucy's. But this but, is yeah. the cycle. Yeah. This yeah. Is, so now it validates the cop's opinion that he's a bad guy, and they can be like, well, he's been arrested eight times, so obviously we had to do what we had to do because he's a criminal, but he's only a criminal because they arrested him. And you also watch him. He's clearly fed up with the harassment. I believe the yes. video, he even says, he's like, you're not doing this to me again. He says, this ends today. Or this ends today. Yeah, this ends today. This ends today. And, you know, we talked on the crime report a little about this. Pat um, Dixon's crime report. Check it out. Yeah, great show. I'm on it regularly. And uh, I'm on Ben's as well. This uh, Abraham Well, you're Lincoln. girly on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm um, going to tell people you're on it. <laughs> well, they're both excellent podcasts. You should listen to both of them regularly. And you should call Mazzy and Polk for your legal needs. But regardless, now that this we've This is got- the worst commercial I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> now that life. We've you're on that the show. Way, um, no, we were talking on the crime report. And, and one of the rare moments where Pat Dixon and I agreed on something is... These police assaults, I think, are a result of this broken windows because it's now you're not just stopping and frisking people. You're actually fining and arresting them for nonsense. And you do it too many times. I mean, I remember a couple weeks back, Bratton was going on about how we're going to cut down on the Showtime kids on the subway. And I was thinking, you know, in a city of eight million people that at certain weekends is averaging three murders a weekend. Right. Is this really what we need to be worrying about is a couple of kids on the streets who, let's face it, are too busy dancing to join a damn gang and sell drugs. Yeah. There is nothing that bothers me more than when people say terms like thugs or gangsters or when it comes down to kids dancing on the sub. By definition, they are not. Absolutely. They are artists who are obviously trying to perfect their craft. Will I say that I always enjoy hearing Showtime? No. I have not always (laughs) enjoy it. Uh, Do I ever stand by them? No. Have I ever given them money? No. Do I think that they need to be arrested and put into the, uh, uh, put in, uh, you know, with with rapists and felonies and then now have that on the rap sheet? No. They're obnoxious, but being obnoxious is an American right. Well, and that's the joke, is I think that in this, in this new, maybe post-9-11 world, or in the world of stop and frisk, in the world of broken windows, there's this fear, this, this not fear, but this, this theory, if you will, that there's somehow a constitutional right to not be inconvenienced and a constitutional right to be safe. Right. And from somebody who studied the Constitution, there isn't one. Right. We want there to be one, but there isn't. I mean, does stop and frisk work? My hunch is probably. I imagine it works really well in keeping things safe. I don't know what Berlin 1938's crime statistics were when stop and frisk was really first implemented, but I bet you Berlin, under the Hitler regime, was an incredibly safe city. Right. I don't think it was a free city. I don't think it was a just society. Right. But that's the key. It probably does make things safer. That's fine. It's still illegal. It's still not justice. And justice is really all you have. So you would argue that a perfect society has the risk of... Of, uh, of danger. Well, you I do. A- I am a strong believer in no justice, no peace. And, and you know, yeah. I, had, I had a really interesting... Um, I really had an interesting... No, which, which one? The N or the, <laughs> the K? Because yeah, yeah. it's very confusing. Yeah. No, no justice, no peace is, no, is confusing to you? Yeah, there's no... Yeah. There, there's, K, N... There's, there's du- no justice, no peace, and no justice, no oh, peace. Oh, N-O, yeah. N-O. Yeah, yeah. So if there is no justice, there, there is, is no, no peace. peace. Yeah. And I am a firm believer in that. And I, I had a... I had a debate with one of my more right-wing leading friends the other day, and we were talking about gun laws. And I'm actually more 
conservative on you know gun laws than people would think I would be. But so you, I, you would you do you feel like New York is too liberal with their gun laws? Is it too strict? Three and a half years in prison. I, I really do think it's entirely too strict with their yeah. gun laws, and I think it's entirely too difficult to get a reasonably safe licensed weapon in this city. And who it's do you almost think is, impossible. I mean, as a man, as men, I, I don't think it's as big of a deal. The only time that I feel, I feel like women and men should have different legal standards for guns. My, my wife and I were just talking about this. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Women are constantly catcalled, harassed, and a lot of times, many times, most of the time, smaller than the man that is uh, harassing them. Yes. And a gun is a great equalizer. A six foot seven man in New York City, if I can't survive without a gun, I should jump off a bridge because yeah. I'm a total <laughs> pussy. You know, but if you're a woman, you're four foot something or five, uh, you know, five four, and a guy six foot seven starts talking to you, having a gun is a good idea. I actually agree. And I mean, you know, Julie, my wife, she's a singer in a band. She's done comedy. She right. does performing. She's regularly coming home very late at night. Right. On unmonitored subway cars. And, you know, she's not a pansy, but, you know, there's always someone tougher than you. Yeah. yeah you know, Especially, yeah, a big old fat dude with a heart on. Yeah. And I'm tougher than all of us. Yeah. And I've never met a bulletproof person. Right. Ever. I mean, and it's, it, it is amazing. I mean, you know, a, a Glock 9mm, a small gun with a small bullet can stop Mike Tyson dead in his tracks. And well, it's a Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I, think, I think Hugh Jackman can resist a bullet. Yeah, yeah. Can we give it Wolverine to Hugh? I'll give it real, to you. Ben. No, not, I'm talking Hugh. I hate that pussy Wolverine. I'm talking Hugh Jackman. Yeah. The music man. <laughs> Great theatrical But no, production. I mean, you know, and that's but the yes. thing. I do think that. And I do think that, yes, I think if you're in professions that could put you in danger, so a gun isn't a bad thing. But I don't think more guns make us safer. Right. And one of the common right-wing arguments is more guns make our society free. There's this, there's this American right. notion that if we have guns, you know, we can keep our oppressive government at bay. Right. And that's yeah. kind of the theory our country is founded on. It's not without merit. The well, problem I have with that is there's a lot of countries that have a lot of guns and that have used guns to, quote unquote, free themselves. Right. And they're not that free. Mm-hmm. And, and my there's, a, theory and there's is, a lot of countries that are free that have very, very few guns. Yeah. And my theory is it's justice. If your justice, if your if your legal system, if your your legal means of resolving disputes is viewed as legitimate, your society will be free and relatively safe. If it is not, no gun, nothing is going to stop. So do you think that maybe guns are a um, an emotional and a mental band-aid for these people who don't really go out there and uh, take true political action and talk to the representatives and try to make actual social change with laws and boring things that nobody likes to do. So they're just like, I'll get a gun and I'll be safe. When in reality, we look at, we just did an episode of last podcast on the left in Waco, Texas. Certainly guns did not keep uh, Koresh and the crew safe. No. Um, and and, I, and also- I don't know if there's an example in U.S. history where, where somehow guns uh, kept uh, a group of individuals individuals safe from the government coming in and uh, doing whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, you would even argue the American Revolution, it didn't really make us safe. Right. Eventually, the guns drove them back. Well, yeah. them in France. Yeah. Sorry, was, right. Don't bring the French. It was, yeah, I, yeah, it was, I don't, I don't it was hear France and very good military uh, strategy. No, right. yeah, yeah. no more French talk. I don't want to hear about the French all day. I'm done with the French. I talked about them all day yesterday. But no, but I mean, really, like, I'm, I think, here's my theory on this gun thing. I think people just like them. They do. That I is, know why. Yeah. I have a few myself. They're cool. Yeah. Right. They shoot. They're powerful. They're mm-hmm. they're they're awesome. They yeah. look cool. They Shooting do. The gun feels really good. I mean, and it's right. really empowering and, because yes, yeah. you could pick. A, you could bring a woman in here who's you know weighs eighty nine pounds, right. five foot one. Right. 
big ass horny Ben here could lunge at her and she could waste him with the whole with just this tiny little thing in her hand. Don't, don't describe me so accurately. <laughs> What's wrong with big ass horny Ben over here? Come on, give me a break. And I think people really like him. And it is in right. the Constitution that we should be have the right to have them. And, and, right. and you know, sometimes we all have to tolerate things that we don't like because to keep law. Viewed as I've legitimate, ne- I, we have to do it. I've really never heard an argument more uh, expressed than that when, when it comes to guns. They're cool. People like to shoot them. I would. Like I mean, there to are see- tools. I mean, look, yes. police need them. Marcus, you grew up on a ranch. I, would, I was I would on a ranch, and I, would, I think guns are very useful on yeah, a ranch. We need guns. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would argue the police don't necessarily need them. Um, but I think they, at this point, they have used them for so long that, in especially in America, they have no other. Well, but even the they police- don't know what else to do without them. There are many police forces over Canada, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the UK, uh, many police forces that don't have guns on them. Well, no, no, they have armed units of their police department. Right, but, your average but your beat ran- cop is not your random a patrolman in, in the United States is is, is uh, you know acting as if they're in Afghanistan yeah. uh, in, in the. Uh, in, in, in the goddamn um, uh, you know tunnels and in uh, caves, finding the next Del Cato leader. You know the yeah. difference between an armed cop and an unarmed cop. If I look at a cop and the cop is armed, then my thought, my first thought, my brain just immediately goes to if that person wanted to kill me right now. They could. In a and so and so that creates fear. That creates fear and distrust of a police officer. But if I see an well, unarmed police officer, it's like. I could go to that person for help. That person is there to help me. It's nowhere near as intimidating. It's nowhere near as frightening. So that comes down to, let's go back to Eric Garner. So a bunch of armed cops surround him. You, if you, uh, for those that don't know the case, it's a little bit local, but I think it's making some national news. Um, and I think the narrative is, I do want to say this, a bit of a conservative idea. When it comes to uh, Garner, and like you guys were saying, he was exhausted and he's sick of the harassment. At the end of the day, when the cop tells you you're under arrest, you're under arrest. That's it. So you really have no freedom at that point. And you have to put your you, you have to cuff up and but the whole the whole situation is attached. Yes. But I am saying uh and this is very very uh not wholeheartedly in defense of the cops. Mm-hmm. But if you're a cop, the whole society the whole structure of society is based on the idea that you have authority. And it's very important that you maintain that authority because if your authority is lost, the whole thing falls apart. So when someone resists arrest or when someone doesn't comply to when you say that they're under arrest, you have to do something. And this officer chose to jump on his back, put a chokehold on him, which was then released relatively quickly, I thought. I, I actually don't. Um, I would disagree with you on that. You don't think it was quick enough? I, I, no, I mean, well, first I, of all, let's, okay, let's, so the chokehold to begin with. So the cops say you're under arrest. He was not, uh, you know, into the idea as, as he shouldn't have been. And no, no human being is thrilled with the, with the, uh, with the notion of getting arrested. So a cop jumps on his back. What do you think about that initial action from the cop? You know, I mean, it's a tough one. It's it's He was being arrested for something stupid. And I'm going to give the cops a lot of leeway here because, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, it is a difficult job. And I've never really subscribed to that theory, but it is a difficult job. And it is. You, and you got to, you know, if you're making an arrest, you got to make an arrest. So The outfit's terrible. Yeah, I, yeah. And, you know, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, when you have somebody resisting arrest, using physical force is entirely wrong. And I'm not even going to go so far as to say I know this chokehold they claim is banned. I can see circumstances where chokehold might be necessary. The problem I have with the video is there's a point where the guy becomes subdued. Right. And he starts screaming, I can't breathe. Right. And the cop, he looks like he almost digs deeper. 
That's when you start to cross the line between using a chokehold and subduing somebody under arrest and going for pain. I mean, the guy was a heavy set fella. Uh, so he was a big guy. Big yeah. guy. Who probably, the cop was a fairly small, I mean, comparatively a small guy. He jumped onto his back. Yeah. I mean, it was like a scene out of the, uh, the movie Bloodsport. <laughs> I mean, the guy jumped on the guy's back. That's a good and, movie. I, I love Bloodsport. Jean-Claude Van Damme is the shit. I mean, really the coolest guy of all time. And the way that he can spread his legs the way that he does. Um, really phenomenal stuff. Yeah. But so the cop jumps on him like it's some uh, MMA uh, yeah. martial arts uh, activity. Eric Garner six three three fifty. That's about that was six Jeez. seven and three eighty. So yeah. I understand the size of this guy. And if a cop put me in a chokehold when I was that size, um, I probably would have died too. So do you feel like? Well, okay. So the first question is because of uh, Garner's health. Do you think that that's going to uh, come into play when people want these uh, officers prosecuted? Um, yes, it absolutely does. There, there's a theory called the eggshell skull doctrine in the law. And it's kind of the rule is you take your victims as you find them. So, you know, the example would be, you know, say Marcus and I get into a fight. And Marcus clocks me with an ordinary left hook. Well, it turns out I have some genetic condition that makes my orbital bone weaker and it shatters and it kills me. Mm. Whereas it wouldn't kill most people. The the legal ramifications of that are transmuted to Marcus because it's like, no, 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 you don't get to get off because mm. it turned out Jim had a genetic condition. You take your victims as you find them. He had an eggshell skull. You ran that risk when you threw it. We're charging you with the more serious crime. Hmm. There is a theory on that. You can also sue under that theory, the eggshell skull doctrine, that just because the damages are more than they ordinarily would be, you don't. So his health problems, if you're going to charge it as a crime, his health problems I don't think help them. I don't think that, you know, they say that, like, you know, this chokehold wouldn't have killed somebody else, but they killed this guy because he was healthy. But as I said, I believe on the crime report as well, here's the problem you're going to have charging this case. Huh. People don't ever think of this. There's there's national outrage. You've got NAACP screaming about it. You've right. got God for help us all Al Sharpton screaming about it. We don't talk about Al. <laughs> the man, the man, first of all, he's a snitch. Yeah. And second of all, he's a, he's a total tyrant and a monster and a race baiter who loves the fact that Eric Garner is dead. Oh, it's absolutely. And yeah. and, and Bill de Blasio showed his true colors when the, you know, uh, he called him out and said, you know, oh, let me, uh, you know, if you, your son were there, he could have been choked to death. No, I mean, if, I would have loved to have seen Bill go, you ever talk about my son again, I'm going to choke you to death. Jim, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. That's yeah. exactly what I thought. As soon as I read that quote where uh, Al Sharpton had the audacity to talk about somebody else's son, if it wasn't your son, he'd be eligible for a chokehold. Never. You, you, when, yeah. when, when, when Rush Limbaugh made fun of Chelsea Clinton during the Clinton administration, he was absolutely ridiculed and uh, and uh, thought to be one of the largest assholes when on Saturday the face Night of the Live planet. Saturday Night Live did it. Bill and yes. Hillary jumped at them like a kids pit are ball. off Kids are off limit, but little bitch de Blasio. You're 6'7", de Blasio. Act like it. Yeah, yeah. You're Eric Garner in shape. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. If anyone mentions my kid like that, oh, it's all done. And and uh, that was a that was a big strategic mistake for de Blasio because uh, uh, Sharpton chastised him the entire time, and uh, he wasn't supposed to be sitting next to him. Mm. They made that decision, at, uh, you know, fairly quickly on a whim. So we have, yeah. So we have de Blasio. We got this Eric Garner situation. Do you feel like going back to the race thing that we were just discussing? If it was a black cop that jumped on Eric Garner's back, would this be a story? Yeah, I, I really do. I actually think that institutional racism in the police force is not necessarily along racial lines. I think we have a theory when there's institutional racism that, like, you know, black, the members of that race are not a part of it. But right. I, I actually think that a lot of black police officers, you know, 
view their own community in ways that are institutionally Well, they racist. grew up in it. I'll tell you, if I was a cop, don't get me around the Polish. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll murder all of them. Yeah, They're Polish all too. under arrest. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, get out of here. Genocide the motherfuckers. Exactly. Every goddamn Thanksgiving. You know, like, it's just, no, it's but a, that's inter- uh, institutional racism. I sent you that text, and Marcus had, had sent it to me before, and let's get into this Rikers um, Island situation. Um, the New York Times did a very long, I believe it was a two-year study? or uh, It was a long one. A long study about prisoner abuse, and uh, there was a great San Francisco um, study that Marcus sent me that basically everyone kind of agrees that prison reform is needed. 50% of people chose to sign the petition when most of the prisoners that they were shown were white. Only 25% of the people chose to sign the petition for prisoner reform and for um, uh, prison reform when the uh, when the people were black, which is a, a big dip. Yeah. So would and, you... Well, it was mostly about the three strikes law. Uh, right. it was, yeah, it was about three strikes and mandatory minimums and things like that. Yeah, if it was black people, then they. But everyone were agreed much that it, likely. everyone agreed that things were wrong. Everyone, but when did. they yeah, saw yeah. that it was mostly they, black oh, people being affected, they were like, "It's wrong," but uh, they're black. <laughs> that, that's really <laughs> how that like felt, it. didn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> and we had yeah. Eric Reynolds on, of course, to discuss the Central Park mm-hmm. Five and things like that. So if it's not race, what is it? Is it, is it it's, a, it's a power issue. Oh, I think it's still race. I really think it's race. But Even I think, if a black cop's... Uh, if a black cop arrests... I think a black cop can be institutionally racist. I really do think a black which, cop... Uh, right. I think a black cop can violate the civil rights based on someone's race just as capably as a white cop can. I think there are so many things in the police... in, in modern policing... That are just institutionally offensive. What are, are some systemic. of those? Well, I mean, Marcus and I were just talking about this before this. One of my absolute favorites is that perjury. Right. Perjury is absolutely commonplace in every every aspect of writing up a charging document. The two examples I could say is I can't tell you how many times I've seen a car stop based on nothing, and upon approaching the vehicle, drugs, felony weight drugs were located in the center console. Right. That's idiotic. You know that's not true. Nobody who's carrying felony weights is going to drop it. Well, put it in plain view, which gives them authority to search me and find the rest of it. No, they put it in their butthole. Yeah. Underneath the front seat where you can't see it. That's what I always call it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to put this weed underneath the front seat. So you know that. Ben, you don't have a car. Yeah. (laughs) I've actually had cases where I've proved there was no center console in the make model car. Unbelievable. And judges have upheld these searches. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, they've upheld these searches. That, it doesn't seem offensive to most people because they're sitting there thinking, oh, well, the guy had drugs on him. He was up to something. Well, yeah, except for the fact that that's perjury. That's going into court and swearing something that is not true. Right. Which is very much hurts the legitimacy of justice. So so if cops are always lying under oath, how does it, uh, the whole thing is messed up. The whole, the, the, the whole, the whole, everything you do. Is based every every a relationship based on uh, lies will never last. Uh, that's what some say, or others say that a relationship based on lies will last forever. What do you think when it comes down to the criminal justice system? It certainly lasts a long way. One of the more interesting aspects of it is is with this Occupy incident down in Wall Street. Go into Occupy that. What's this about? Well. You suddenly had a lot of collegiate educated white middle class people. Mildly collegiately. <laughs> By the way, th- th- these educations, when people are just in it, 
It reminds me um, when people are just out of college or when they're just in college, they have the exact same attitude as someone who has just found religion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just found. They're, they're, they are born again for uh, for liberal ideas. Well, and that's and always they're been born the, again for Christ. That's always been the core of, you know, these these uprising type movements like right. Occupy Wall Street, the 60s, things like this. This is a moderate amount of knowledge to people who previously didn't have it. Right. And it's and it's. um. You know, and you become kind of fanatical when something like that happens. Well, it's shocking. It's new, yeah. and you can't believe that that's the reality well, that we live in. You suddenly had kids thrust into this criminal justice system, and I've I've read so many of these Upworthy articles, and you know, articles in New York Magazine, and all these other you know you know publications about like, holy crap, that place really sucked. Right. You know, they set bail at five hundred dollars on me, and well, obviously my parents paid it, but that black girl up the street, she had to stay in jail. This is in regards to the tombs or in regards to... Just in general, to- and, and all sorts of things. Like, well, you know, the cop just said things on my arrest that just simply weren't true. Right. And and this almost, like, fascination by it. It's like, well, and this is going to sound so offensive, but it's meant to, to draw you. Wow, suddenly somebody who mattered got to see it. Yeah. Right. Not somebody you nailed with a stupid marijuana arrest when he was 15. Not somebody who'd been in and out of juvenile facilities so most of his life. Would you argue that was one of the benefits of Occupy? I think it was probably going to be the only lasting benefit No, of we Occupy. talk about this on the last podcast, the notion of, uh, when we talk about serial killers, we talk about right. the notion of the yes. less dead. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, prostitutes are less dead than, you know, college students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's nobody the, it's minded. The same thing. Yeah, when Shamiqua, who works at you know Rainbow Clothing and who right. had it pretty hard and grew up in you know Bushwick, when she gets pinched for shoplifting, and she can't make bail in the amount of five hundred dollars, right. which is an amount that you know I know you guys are poor ass comics, but I'm sure we you, could you figure guys it could out. come out yeah. with five hundred dollars. You have networks of people, you have family, you have things like this. These, oh, we'll set up a Kickstarter. We'll have Zach Braff uh, <laughs> yeah, donate yeah, some yeah, money yeah, to yeah. it. I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, you know, something like that, you can come up with that. Right. She can't. So now she stays in jail for three straight days. Right. To her first court appearance. DA knows they've got her by the balls. Three right. days in jail for somebody who's never been there. She'll take any plea to get her the hell out. So the DA says, all right, fine. Plead guilty to the misdemeanor. Time served. You're out of jail. Right. Any one of us would. But now, misdemeanor criminal offense... You go, okay, well, what's my alternative to that? Well, I can put it over for trial and see if they roll when they have to do this trial. How long would that take? Well, you know, early adjournment dates are in two weeks. What happens to me? You stay in jail for those two weeks. But you're not talking about racism. You're talking about a wealth gap. I am. It's, and that's, it's a, Isn't financial... I mean, I, I, the poor members of society don't tend to be from Connecticut and uh, and, 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 and named anything Stein. Yeah. Right, they they do tend to be people of color or uh, first generation immigrants or uh, dare I say Russians, um, but they but they're a little bit uh, they're a little bit it's it's the poorer people. What is what I've econo- always advocated? What's the for? economy? What's the economy of the prison system when it comes down to milking these people for their cash? What I mean, what what is the benefit of uh, of arresting poor people in bulk? Well, I actually don't think that there's an economic benefit to the state. I actually think it's tremendously burdensome. I right. think there's a political benefit to people. What's the political benefit? It's just really easy to get yourself elected when you create a problem. Right. You know drug companies. Uh, I love to watch drug companies advertise because they mm. never advertise their drugs. No. They advertise a disease. And right. sometimes the diseases just get outright ridiculous. Like it all Shaking a, leg. Yeah, restless Lovely. leg. That's what my example. Restless leg. You can move. You can. It should be. Are you mobile? Can you walk? Can you move? You're fine. Yeah. But no, now 
You've got a disease. Well, geez, I was up all night shaking my legs. I was nervous. I must have this. Well, guess what? We've got the drug for you. Right. That's what politicians do. They're like, oh, there's this, there's this monster of the ghetto and it's expanding every minute and I didn't create it, but it's going to come into your houses and it's going to rape your daughters and steal your hard earned money. But I got the solution. I put them in jail. I want tougher laws on these people, and that'll keep them all locked up. Now, it's burdensome. It doesn't make any money. I don't think it's that sinister. I don't think these guys are meeting and like, how can we maximize our profits? I think they're saying, I want to be a politician. I want to keep my job. How can I maximize my power? Marcus and I did an episode, oh, a couple of, about 12, maybe 20 episodes ago or so, uh, where we uh, we did the um, marketing of politics. And, of course, the Willie Horton ad in 1988. or was it was it eighty four or eighty eight? I believe it was eighty eight against Dukakis. It was eighty eight yeah. Dukakis, yeah. And Dukakis was which wrong. is actually a real tragedy because Michael Dukakis he was he would have been fine was running one of the finest penal reform systems in the country. If you looked at every statistic studying Massachusetts, the Massachusetts penal system, they had one of the lowest I'm, recidivism I'm sorry, can you, rates. Can you say that again? When you studied the Massachusetts penal P- system, penal system, penal, you the got pe- it. The penal system. Go for it. That get is it a, out of your system. That, get it that, out of your system, is, man. <laughs> Go for it. Come on. Come on. Let Jim, it out. Jim, that, that is, uh, that's funny stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. But yes. Uh, obvi- yes. So the Massachusetts penal system. Yes. said that this is working better than we ever imagined it would. Mm-hmm. These work furloughs, these treatment-based release programs, these guys are not reoffending. Mm-hmm. And the crime rate in Massachusetts was plummeting. Mm-hmm. And it was actually starting to have economic benefit because they're limited state budget was not being overburdened with long-term housing incarceration. Mm-hmm. And look what happened. You've got this system that is brilliantly working. It's one of it should be the model and because one asshole, mm. Willie Horton, raped a woman, right. which he could have done had he ever been to prison before, one ad, one picture sunk the whole damn thing. Right. And that's the joke. This is my beef with in general Liberal versus conservatives. Liberals have no ability to think in any concept but the abstract. They think in studies. They think right. in bad, broad-based results. Fine example, raising the minimum wage law. They're like, well, you know, over time, the increased spending power of the lower tier of us will inject money into the economy. Well, yeah, except for that a lot of small businesses will go under. Mm. Sorry, that will happen. Right, it's like reverse trickle-down uh, economics. It's absolutely like it's, what it is. Yeah. And conservatives well, have no ability to think in anything but an anecdote. Well, I don't know about those studies, but, you know, my buddy had a handgun, and right. some guy tried to break in, and he gunned his ass down, and that's how it should be. Well, that's great. You also failed to mention, like, the five people that shot their wives because they had these really powerfully dangerous handguns for no apparent reason. Hmm. And Well, maybe I'm for them. Yeah, and the real reason <laughs> like is, and the real reason they can't get the real reason is that the liberal position has never gotten thing is they simply have no balls. Because well, Bill de Blasio doesn't stand up and say, Al Sharpton, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. Well, conservatives love their numbers. Mm. And uh and a lot of times I will say liberals uh are right when you when you do look behind the numbers at the reasons for high unemployment rates and uh and things like that. Like we were just discussing with uh with the uh, internal biases and uh mm-hmm. things with the prison system and whatnot. I do think obviously um cops like we were discussing they don't go and stop in frisk in Williamsburg. They stop in frisk in the Bronx for a reason. Oh, and here's my favorite part of this. I think they missed an opportunity. Ray Kelly could have said, you know what? You're right. We aren't doing it right. Stop and frisk equally among all precincts. I want... Right. I want... 
How long would that, but how long that would that have lasted? That would have lasted one weekend. You would have had until one kid calls his father up in uh, probably Massachusetts or any upstate, and it's just like, Dan, I got arrested because I had a little bit of weed, and yep. they just stop me. And be like, Dad would be like, uh, I'll call my friend Governor Cuomo. Yeah, it'll be done. That's exactly the case. That's why they don't do it. He didn't want that to happen. He right. wanted to say it's not unfair. Who? But here's a way to make it fair. But I'm not going to do that because I know what'll happen. There would right. be up in arms. Right. I mean, and it's not just that. I mean, you know, think about, you know, think about the guy who's buying cigarettes illegally. Eight bucks a pack. You know, a place that uh, you know they. So now you're Virginia. now you're an old Jewish guy, Holocaust survivor. You went and bought your favorite cigarettes at two dollars cheaper. And now you're stop and frisk, and you're getting citations. Watch how quickly stop and frisk lasts, because it's just not right. It's just not just. It's just not legal. What about, you know, there is a large group. I mean, I don't know if it's a large group, but there is definitely a group of people in these communities that doesn't mind it. There's a group of people who are victims of uh, of gun violence or, uh, or or physical violence or robbery um, that are happy that the cops are there. I people who that. lose their children and people who lose their fathers and mothers. I mean, so what about that? So there is the argument that can be made that they are um, they do confiscate a, 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 what is it? Every three three percent of the people they stop and frisk, yeah. they get like Very a handgun small. and whatnot. But I mean. Three percent could save a life. Three percent of eight million is a huge number, right? And uh, my my attitude is is exactly what I said at the beginning here. Yeah, I right. know why they like it. It makes things safer. I don't dispute that stop and frisk probably makes things safer. Too bad. Sorry, it's still unjust. It's still illegal. You're just not willing to. Uh, you're not willing to uh, to pay the price for that kind of yeah, safety. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that is a false concept of safety. Right. That breaks down the separation of powers. That breaks down the checks and balances. That breaks down the individual liberties that keep us just. When uh, Let's switch uh, a little bit here. Um, the last episode, you said that you liked prison guards. You felt like prison guards were relatively nice. Well, I, said, I, said, I said that um, I've had good experiences with them. What do you think about these prison guards beating up these people? Did you hear? Have you heard about this story? They took them down to the... Uh, to the uh, the medical uh, place, uh, mm. the, the little prison hospital or whatever. There's no cameras. They told all the doctors and nurses to get out of the way, which if you're a doctor or a nurse, I guarantee you that means someone's about to get the shit kicked out of him in whatever room you were just told to leave. Um, and then they just brutalize these guys. I mean, one guy uh, probably threw urine and, and, and uh, human feces on an officer, which is not great. No cop likes to be covered in dookie all day unless there's some sort of German uh, hanging out in a porta potty <laughs> at the in, you know, in the basement of a uh, Lollapalooza tank or something, you know, some sort of Lollapalooza porta potty. Maybe we need uh, more German bandit. Maybe. That yeah. went so well Every, the first time. Everyone, no, no. That's a good idea, though. If you've got a dookie fetish, you got you also have to go and become a prison guard. You'll get covered in it every day. And then you also won't beat these people up. You'll get rock hard and jack off on them. They won't be happy either way, but at least they'll have their ribs not broken. Yeah. Look, what do you think about what these officers did to these kids? It's obviously awful. It's it's just you shouldn't do this. You're you're violating your responsibility. But there's no there's been I believe it was three people prosecuted in the past like twenty years. The cops or the uh, the not com- I mean these are they're corrections for, officers. for what a uh, for for someone who works at a three star restaurant making hamburgers. Let's call them a police officer. These people are McDonald's. Oh, let's say Hardee's or maybe uh, Carl's Jr. Okay, that's better. They're Carl's Jr. employees. 
who are uh, also making sandwiches and they'd be like, well, I also I, I'm also kind of a chef myself, you know, but they're dumb. I don't know about that. And I they, mean, I, well, I would, they choose to go to prison every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're just another branch of law enforcement. Do you really equate them to that level? Yes, I do. Of because, respect. I mean, well, I mean, you know, you rise through the ranks. There are investigative bureaus of yeah, but it's all in house. I mean, it's all it's all sure. But you know, the maritime it's Lord of the police, flies. it's all on the it's all on the water. Right. You know, I mean, there's. I think it's just a different branch. I, I'm going to give them that much respect, at least. And it is Lord of the Flies. It's an incredibly. It's probably of all the law enforcement, possibly the most dangerous of them all. Because I mean, you're, well, well, you know, for a fact, you're de- dealing with felons. You don't just pull somebody over for casing a, uh, right. a jewelry store and, and you're like, outnumbered maybe he's a terribly the regularly. Right. Six to one. It's not you and your partner arresting one guy. It's you in charge of seven violent felons. Well, you're outnumbered from people who are completely shackled, chained, uh, imprisoned. I mean, isn't that isn't that the power trip? I mean, aren't you empowered by that fact alone? You might be, and you you know you have your own weapons, but at the same time, a sociopath armed with a steel chain—that's going to be a hard thing to come. You know, he's going to do what he's going to do. Right. But I don't know where he got the steel I mean, chain I will, from. Yeah, but. I will say this. Um, no, I mean they shouldn't be doing this. This is ridiculous, and I think. I think all areas of law enforcement really do breed people, not breed them, but I certainly will attract a certain element that you actually don't want to be law enforcement. Right. I don't think there's screening procedures in place to keep those people out. And I probably don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you some of the prison guards I talk to on an almost daily basis could do things like this. Right. Because you never know what somebody's capable of. You really don't. Oh, Totally. I mean, if you want to talk about the general demeanor of the prison guards in Rikers, there was an incident in January 2012 in which a corrections officer got splashed in the face with an unnamed liquid by an inmate. Other other correction officers restrained the guy, held him down, but the uh, corrections officer who was splashed just beat the fuck out of him, just punched him Mm -hmm. in the face over and over and over again, and then there was an investigation into it, and the board found that, you know, the use was, quote, not necessary, inappropriate, and excessive, Mm -hmm. but a superior overruled the captain that made that ruling and said that the force was necessary, therefore, nothing happened to this person. PP punishment. I mean, that's... This is my biggest problem with the police department. More than, you know, saying we should prosecute cops, more than saying that, we should have some independent form of review. I what actually would that think, be? I think you should start a whole new branch of law enforcement, not beholden the NYPD that investigates internal complaints. But don't, doesn't adding more things clunk it up more? Maybe. But I mean, I, it's I, obviously I, I, not working so well. I don't think scaling back what, what yeah. review is there is going to solve the problem either. Right. Because the problem is, is I mean, you know, internal affairs and these things, I mean, they're other cops. They're all within the same bureau. It's the idea that you're being investigated, prosecuted, punished, all by the same guy who signs the same paychecks. But that's what de Blasio wanted to do. He wanted to put that commission in that was going to watch the, watch the cops. Then he hired Bill Bratton and, uh, and that entire idea. I mean, it's like Cuomo who uh, hired the investigation team, uh, the, the independent counsel to look at uh, corruption in Albany. Yeah. And then they came back with a report that was like, I think you're corrupt, Mr. Cuomo. And he's like... We're gonna end it. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna end the whole thing. Uh, turns out I don't like the mirror that you're making me look into. Well, that's the joke. Is often these commissions, if they do their job appropriately, it's the worst thing for the person. Yeah, I mean, pointed on my if, if you're in political office, the last thing you want is a review board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what would be some, what would be a other than having another group of people watching over the people watching our prisoners who are then there's just so many people watching. Why can't these corrections officers? 
just do the job right? Why can't comps just do their job right? You know, I think about this, and I, and I think the mentality is this. Um, I just watched a, a really great documentary um, called, uh, sorry, called uh, When We Were Kings about uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe F- George Foreman fought in Zaire, Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was the, the, the dictator of, of Africa was a guy named Mobutu, uh, Mobutu Seseko. And um, he really wanted this fight to show that Zaire is, is a first world nation, that we can do this and we can do it proper. And, you know, right before the fight, they say in this documentary, some uh, tourists were killed driving their cars by the criminal element. And so what Mobutu's response, given that he has no system of justice, Mm -hmm. he is it. He rounded up 1,000 of the leading criminals, and he walked down the aisle and just pointed at people at random, and his guards would shoot them in front of all the others. Just he wiped out 100 of them completely at random. And his theory was, and it's quite a true theory, that criminals or people who make a life of this, people who have nothing to lose, they have connections mm-hmm. that protect them while you're in trouble. Well, guess what? Right now, those mean nothing. I will kill you at random. Do not fuck with me. And I think, and it was, it was an incredibly pragmatic and effective strategy because mm-hmm. Zaire suddenly became one of the safest places in the world while this fight was in town. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not justice, but no. that is effective. And I think... These corrections officers, they see this, what they perceive to be some sort of heathing, violent mass that they're in charge of, and they feel themselves as outnumbered. They forget their role in the system of what's considered justice, and they think, I'm speaking, not when I'm beating this guy, I'm not just beating him as punishment. I'm speaking to everybody. Right. That if you fuck around with me, this is what happens to you. Well, they're acting like the Punisher. Yeah, they are absolutely acting like the Punisher, and which also, that's not justice either. No, it's not. <laughs> Uh, Mobutu, that reminded me, uh, obviously he killed humans. Mm. But on a sadder note, it reminds me very uh, very similar to what Putin did to all the dogs during the last (laughs) Olympics. Putin was murdering those dogs at random. Every dog knew that any dog could go at any day. The dogs scattered over to Crimea, where then he went to get them again. This whole whole Russian thing is about dogs. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's it's the mentality the corrections <laughs> officers have. And I think you have to really change that idea. Yeah, you right. have to reintegrate them into this concept that you're part of something bigger. I think but, as they, far as, but they're it. Yeah. If you're in prison, yeah. I, well, I think as far as like police officers go, like the reason why they don't necessarily... What, you know, why, what is keeping them from doing their job? What's keeping them is that it's a very difficult job. All yes. of these jobs are extremely difficult, and they can do it the easy way, or at least they have so far. They can do it the easy way, and they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I will also point this out. I, I don't know about corrections officers, but I know NYPD, certainly first couple years on the job where you're actually often at the worst assignments, they are terrifically underpaid. Early, what's young, the average? What's the average? I think salary? they come in at like twenty six thousand a year. Twenty six thousand. I think so. I think they come in at, at something very low like that. I, I'd be surprised if it was over thirty. Look it up, Marcus. I know it's publishable information. So, but do it, you feel like that? I mean, obviously, twenty six thousand for that job. I do think that the the well, salary I mean, look, you should be get higher. what you pay for, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> Less than that, twenty five thousand one hundred. That's I, the average going. No, no, that's, not salary. that's what a rookie cop makes. Twenty five thousand. Every first year cop is making twenty five one. That's that is a very low number. And I mean, you're gonna. I mean, look at you have this effective strategy. You have the Mobutu. Let's wipe out a hundred at random to show them all to stay in line. When people say, "Well, that's that's not the best way to do your job," fuck you. I'm making twenty five one. I'm upset. <laughs> you know, I'm no, no, no. I 
I take that back completely. That was uh, an old figure. Uh, the current figure is 41,975. That's 41. still really low. They should have been occupying. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, 41 yeah. is, they doubled it. Yeah, that's it's been still the, really yeah. low for yeah. New York City. Look, look, there's oh, parts yeah. of the country where that's reasonable. Well, and theoretically, if you get into, uh, you know, becoming a police officer, you're, you're, you're a, um, relatively average human being. Uh, for the most part, you got a family. You want to, or you have a wife or a girlfriend that you want to make your wife. You want to have a kid. I mean, forty one thousand dollars is not, uh, is not nearly enough money. Yeah, but and then after two and a half, a, after two and a half years, you get forty eight thousand, and your total and the compensation nice. pa- and your total compensation package after two and a half years, you know, with insurance and whatnot, right. that's fifty three thousand. And then every year you get it increased by three to five thousand for the next three three years. So about halfway through the six year on the job. The base salary goes from fifty six thousand to seventy six thousand. So after about six years, you're. I mean, that's. I mean, I don't know. To me, that's a lot of money. But you know, no, seventy six thousand is, yeah. is is a very good salary. It's it's a reasonable salary, I think, for a police officer. Right. But that's six years of policing the streets of New York City. What do yeah. you think about these cops going you know, after the guy who video camered uh, the uh, Eric Gardner um, takedown? I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I, I, you know, if I was to be an optimist, I'd say it does sound like both of them were involved in something criminal, kind of independent of videotaping this. But we all are knowing in the back of our head why they did it. They want to punish anybody who films them. And I know that it's they've been talk about making videotaping the police illegal, which is, terrifies me. Well, that's, that's, that's no. totally unconstitutional. I mean, I read today in the Daily News that they sent out an internal memo in the NYP to ma- NYPD to make sure that all the cops knew that being filmed is completely legal and they cannot legally stop people from doing it. Yeah, they have to do it. And yeah. in some jurisdictions in this they country, it is illegal yeah. to film police. Matt, but here is, there, is there uh, something in the Constitution that makes it... Uh, Completely illegal for them to ban filming cops. Well, there isn't because you know they didn't have filming. Will this be another? Will, they wrote the will this be another? Will this be another Terry? I will be uh, interested. Situation. I think. I think you probably will end up having a, a ruling on it. And what it'll come down to is, is is essentially whenever you have anything that restricts the freedom of expression or the freedom of uh, you know the freedom to do things like this, you have to look at what the legitimate state interest is. Right. And if the legitimate state interest is so compelling that it overtrumps your individual civil rights, obviously, fire in a crowded theater is the finest example of that. The legitimate state interest in keeping people from being trampled at random is far greater than your ability to scream something incitive in a crowded, dangerous area. But now what they're going to have to do is the police would then have to come up with a reason why being videotaped is so compelling as a state interest that it should be banned. And I, I don't think they'll be able to do it. I don't think so either. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just opinion. But I, to my knowledge, it hasn't been ruled on yet. Yeah. And in fact, it seems like it's going the other way with a lot of precincts uh, mm-hmm. actually installing cameras on police officers. And it's also said that in right. precincts where these cameras where, where these cameras are on the police officers, uh, police brutality complaints go down quite a bit without the crime rate rising. So a lot of people, I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I do think a lot. You can claim police brutality whenever you want to. Yeah, and of but course these these and everybody Gardner does, situ- and everyone does. Yeah, I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I hear what are legitimately bogus. Man, them police violated my rights. And but you like, defend them. I, of course I do. It's my job. Right. It's what I do. Sworn oath to do it. And you paid a hell of a lot more than the cops get paid. God damn right I do. <laughs> but when I was a public defender, who represent most of them. I actually, after six years, was making less than every police officer who stayed that long. 
<laughs> I signed on at 47000 got a raise to fifty. By the time I left the public defender's office, I hadn't cleared $60,000. Well, my panties are wet. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of cash. Uh, ben, don't, 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 don't let me tell you how much I make now. <laughs> it's more than uh, that. <laughs> sad times, sad times. D- double it. <laughs> All right. All right. What do you think is going to happen? We got to get out of here. What's what's happening with the Eric Garner situation? Give me your uh, let let me know what you think. I, about I the think future. It's, I think it's done. I think people will be outraged. They'll write. They'll do some sort of civilian review. They'll make them all wear cameras. I don't think Amy's getting charged. Nothing. No. As I said, I said this on the Crown Point. I'll say it here. Prosecutions are local. No matter how angry Manhattan gets, Dan Donovan, who's the DA in Staten Island, he answers to Staten Island and Staten Island only. Mm-hmm. Same with all the hipsters in Brooklyn are outraged about Eric Garner. Well, guess what? They can't vote in Staten Island. In Staten Island, they're the jurisdictions known to like their police. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Donovan wants to kick that hornet's nest of the Staten Island PBA. And I don't think he wants to run the risk of seeing him being the DA who's arresting his police who are you know, arresting us. I think nothing will happen. I think it's already over. Well, I just want to say, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, make sure to stay healthy. Um, so when the cops put you in a chokehold, you don't die. Uh, because they're going to do it. Uh, at some point in time. Thanks for being here, Jim. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure. All right. Jim Polk. That's Marcus Parks. Marcus Parks on Twitter. I'm Ben Kissel on Twitter. Uh, we got, uh, what is it, August 31st, right? That's right. That's the uh, the uh, Cave Comedy Radio. Uh, uh, every show is going to be here. Yeah. Performing and doing things. Yeah, performing, going to be doing some stand-up and some special yeah. stuff upstairs. I'm sure Murderfist is going to do some stuff. We're also going to be doing a ton of live podcasts. Will there well. be a cookout? Yeah, there's going to be sausage and bratwurst. Oh, what time does this start? Uh, it, I believe it'll be starting somewhere around 5, maybe even earlier. But I think we're going to be starting the cooking pretty early. So you can make oh it an all-day event. And not only that, the last podcast on the left live show is on August 30th. So you can come and you can make a full Cave Comedy Radio weekend out of it. Sausage and bratwurst, huh? Oh, yeah. A lot of farts. <laughs> Everyone's going to be feel t- like you're back home in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, there's also going to be a mac and cheese cook-off. Oh, oh well, a lot of shits, of, too. Of which you're going to be a, uh, a judge. Am I? Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to turn people down. Ah, your mac and cheese was not mac or cheese enough for me. Yes. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.